This is the Butter Milky Way Cafe Cito. Hmm. Yeah, it's a knockoff version of Dr. Noble Gaslight's restaurant. I figured we'd grab a bite to eat while waiting to speak with Alexander. Our very own pastry chef wouldn't be too pleased with his blatant intellectual thievery. <sighs> but I'm hungry. So let's see what they got. Let's check the menu. You know, I still don't understand bog butter. It is a galactic delicacy. You should try it. Also, we're planning a bank heist and you're hungry? I'm reading the description and yes. I'm hungry. For justice. Jesus. From an oak barrel that was discovered in 2009 from 3,000 years ago and further preserved another 1,000 years to today, the year 3000. Hmm. A fun fact, the bog butter made it off planet and was reburied on Tremolara, but moved recently due to uh, an invasive plant species you may be aware of. Yeah, Tremolara's pretty hazardous. Maybe I'll order a burger and fries. So you think Katana and Cindy are really going to help us rob a bank? Well, Katana's crazy about you, and Cindy, well, she's a little bit murdery, but she'll get the job done. That's in the past. They sounded very intrigued. I bet they'll be the stars of the robbery. We can't have stars. We don't want to be discovered. They're willing to take the risk. <sighs> It'd be easier to say no and continue searching for more syringobites. Maybe even find a cure for this cryovirus. We could get promoted with raises and corner offices. Don't you realize by now that Cindy is the corporate one, not Katana? She likes you for you, for some reason. I think you should give up on your allegiance to Cryocorp. I did a long time ago. Or Mesmerize, or whatever company we wind up being tied to. But a corner office... We're going to rob this bank. We still need to figure out how these Surrendabites and the Shard Converter fit together. I'm sure we'll figure that out along the way. Still hungry for bread and bog butter? Uh, I'm kind of looking at the shipwreck dressing now. Okay, that's not a thing. <clears throat> From an ancient Greek amphora discovered in 2004 and further preserved, the salad dressing was lost once more on a transfer between solar systems, floated in the vacuum of space, and was later recovered. You're willing to try that. The only two things that can survive the vacuum of space are moss piglets and that salad dressing, and I'm not going to start eating moss piglets. Besides, shipwreck dressing will go great with my side of fries. You're not going to put that on a salad. I don't really trust leafy vegetables. You're starting to remember the tangling incident, aren't you? The fangs on those orchids. <sighs> oh, I remember, all right. Waiter, one burger, side of sweet potato fries, and shipwreck dressing. Oh, and a surrender bite to go. They have that here, right? <laughs> And that's why you never cross the streams. But come on, is total protonic reversal even possible? This is a movie about actual ghosts, spirit deities, and Rick Moranis turning into a dog. You're worried about the physics actually playing out? And we're back, broadcasting from our studio on the pale blue dot we call Earth. We've got a great short for you today. That's right, Charlie. Today we bring back the idea of repatriation. Patriation again. Now... An Indian attendant to Queen Victoria, his name was Abdul Karim, he said, We have been here for the last two days to get the repatriation documents, but the process is too slow. 
Mm. Now, repatriation can be defined as the return of someone to their own country voluntarily or forcefully or the sending of money back to one's country. And this could include returning of soldiers home after war or converting money from one country's currency to another. Now, there's forcing a refugee to return in the event they fear they will be persecuted. And that's known as refoulement. Sounds very foul. Mm Mm-hmm. This often happens with soldiers of war, civilian detainees, or refugees refusing to return to their home country, technically illegal under international laws. Now, in the Soviet Union after World War II, soldiers who surrendered were declared to be traitors and executed or sent to concentration camps. This is still an area of contention for the United States and the United Kingdom because the Allied forces forced several people back to the Soviet Union. Yeah, unfortunately to an untimely demise. Mm -hmm. Not all of this is going to be like happy-go-lucky. Repatriation has a pretty dark history. Yeah, this is going to be one of our sadder episodes. Mm -hmm. But short. Short. Sad and short. Short Short and quick, like a Band-Aid. Several countries in the 20th century have offered financial gain to return to a person's country of origin. So that's a happy note. Uh, Examples of this include Denmark, Switzerland, Ireland, and Germany. Um, Ireland is also having a um, kind of an uprising of technology. They're they're a big technological mogul right now, if you didn't Mm -hmm. know that. So they're they're very good paying jobs in Ireland. Um, Irish, I invested earlier. Medical repatriation can be a big issue. Uh, For example, if a foreign national becomes sick while on a visa stay in the U.S., hospitals have three options. They can only provide emergency care. That's option A. They can provide all care at a discounted rate or for free. Which they probably don't want to do that. They don't want to do that because they're going to lose all the money. Um, Or they could repatriate the foreign national back to their country of origin. And risk the person getting sick or dying on the the flight back, which has happened before. Yeah. So what do you do? Eh, Tough, tough decision. So there is a right of return law. This allows a group that has been dispersed from their original location, example, um, Jewish populations, to return to their kin state. This may be referred to as right of return. Several countries in Europe and Asia have repatriation laws and agreements for their diaspora populations. That's an SAT word, meaning those that have been dispersed from their original homeland. Diaspora. Now, the Rastafarian movement, uh, that is a movement that encourages people of African ancestry to return to Africa, which is considered to be the promised land or Zion in a, a religious movement. Although Ethiopia has land set aside specifically for this idea of the Rastafari, uh, there are no repatriation laws for African diaspora. And we're not talking about Pastafarianism. Pastafarian? Yeah, the great gospel of the flying spaghetti monster. Oh, yeah. I have heard of the flying mm-hmm. spaghetti monster. Okay. Yep. Um, in the 1930s, one of the most infamous repatriation events began when the U.S. began deporting or forced repatriation of people of Mexican descent back to Mexico. This happened during the Great Depression uh, because it was thought that the immigrants were taking jobs that should go to American citizens. There's only one huge problem with this. Uh, It's believed that up to 60%, over half of the 1.8 million people that were deported, were actually American citizens by birth. That's horrifying. Oopsie. Yeah. A little bit of an oops. Even one person is one person too many. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, if you're thinking about, 
Like you grew up in a country where you speak the language of that country. You don't speak the language of the country that someone else is trying to send you to, right? Yeah. So like some people, they don't have kinship. They don't have family or friend connections. They don't speak the language. They don't understand the geopolitical events that are going on in that country. And then you deport them to that country and then you just expect them to just exist and thrive. You speak Spanish, right? You have a, a Mexican passport and visa, right? Mm-hmm. Mexican does does Mexico have social security numbers? I'm not sure, but they don't, whatever their citizen number is, they don't have it. They have nothing. Yeah, yeah. terrifying. So this like, still happens. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. And the board, the um, the border states and some of the other kind of high traffic areas, mm-hmm. people can still be deported if they're American citizens. And not just Mexico, but other countries as well, including uh, Vietnam, Thailand. Um, other parts of Southeast Asia, parts of Europe. Th- these are countries in which we've deported individuals from America over there. They don't speak the language. They don't understand uh, how to get around. Yeah. And it's usually like years later once they're already firmly established in the United States. So at a certain point, there should be special case scenarios made for those individuals. But because there's so many individuals uh, listed, like I'm, I'm sure, like the the easiest you know way for the government to deal with it is just like, oh, like we'll just yeah, corral all the people together and take them out, which is an unfortunate circumstance that happens. It makes no sense to me. I, I understand that becoming a citizen is expensive for America, but then they're going to pay taxes. So just make citizenship way easier. Mm-hmm. Make them pay taxes, and then boom, bam, it pays for itself. I, I don't understand. Yeah. Now we're going to go further into human uh, repatriation. Uh, including Native American Graves uh, Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA. Yeah, I think that's how you say it, NAGPRA. Yeah, N-A-G-P-R-A. Established in 1992 to define the process by which human remains would be returned to the original tribe. Now, British colonies, heads and body parts of indigenous Australians and Maori were once collected to display in British museums. That also needs to be taken care of. Repatriation of most of these artifacts is currently in progress. It's yeah. one of those running jokes that like, hey, you want to see like uh, the great artifacts of the world? Well, let's go to Britain. Yeah. yeah they've <laughs> they've ruled over pretty much all of the world at some point. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, we're not giving them back their museum pieces. Like, well, that's also uh, our culture. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my uh, great ancestor there. Yeah. Can I you, would like that back, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you took it back during the imperialistic yeah. times. And like, just because you have it now when like all the borders are formed. It's like, not <laughs> finders keepers, okay? It yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> Now, United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples was enacted in 2007. Four countries opposed, of course, America was one, along with Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Interestingly, all four of these countries were born of the British Empire. Hmm. Mm. Coincidence? I think not. Not at all. Later, all four countries endorsed the declaration. Oh, that's good. Although it was adopted in such a way so that it is not pleadable in court, i.e. not legal. So what was the point? (laughs) Basically, um, it seeks to protect an indigenous people's culture by allowing for their own governance as well as cultural practices such as language, education, and religion to continue existing. Yeah. Now, NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Protection and Patriation Act that you talked about, although the U.S. initially opposed the U.N. declaration, which was a United Nations thing, and I think that's probably part of the problem. It was from the United Nations, not from the United States. Uh, The NAGPRA Act has actually existed since 1990. And has evolved over 30 years quite a bit. So NAGPRA was in place for our own Native Americans, just not for the natives of the world. Uh, But this act calls for repatriation of human remains, funerary objects. You know what funerary means? Used for funeral purposes? Yeah. That's what I thought it was. I had to look it up. And it was. (laughs) 
Uh, nice. Checks out. Sacred Objects and Objects of Cultural Patrimony. Uh, Anthony Mara, an American writer, he said, In the months before the repatriation, her heart had hardened around her sister's absence, letting her love Natasha in memory as she could never love her in reality. Very sad. Mm. Now, non-human repatriation. These uh, are cultural artifacts normally, uh, items with religious significance or irreplaceable relics. The stuff that's in all the British museums. Yeah, pretty much. Well, uh, besides the human remains, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or economic. Uh, a corporation may be doing business in a country other than its original country. Uh, you've heard of offshore countries and like outsourcing to China or India or Japan because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that needs to get the profits back to the original country. Well, that's why a lot of like Fortune 500 companies have moved their headquarters, quote unquote, to a country that's more tax favorable. Right. And they still don't pay the taxes in like their home country. Yeah. Yeah. And then they bring the profits back and that's repatriation Mm -hmm. of the money. Uh, A person may also exchange money back to the country of origin, such as pesos being transferred back to dollars if an American was returning home from a visit to Mexico. Now, let's discuss some famous or maybe infamous examples of repatriation. One of such is the Elgin Marbles. Marble sculpture was originally part of the Parthenon, removed by Thomas Bruce, 7th Earl of Elgin, in 1801 over the course of about 10, 11 years. Greece was ruled by the Ottoman Empire at the time, and Bruce claimed to have obtained an official decree granting permission for him to remove the statues. Now, (laughs) (laughs) one small problem. Yeah. (laughs) No such document has ever been found. No, I've got it. I'm going to go back to my office and get it. I'll meet you tomorrow. So he right forged here. a document or didn't even produce one no, of the first No, he didn't even place. make it. No. <laughs> uh, there's also the Rosetta Stone, uh, not the app for learning a new language, the actual Rosetta Stone. Uh, it was taken by the French during Napoleon's invasion of Egypt in 1799. Here's Have you a, seen it? Bit of an Egyptophile. Yeah, it's a pretty cool looking rock. Yeah. Big tablet thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the British seized the basalt slab. Do you know it was made of basalt? In 1801, when they defeated Napoleon's forces, of course, it was the British that got it in the end. Uh, French Egyptologist Jean-Francois Champollion was the one to decipher the stone and unlock the language of hieroglyphics. Now, does this mean that collaboration may make the taking of artifacts less heinous? It's good for the world? I think it's good to decipher it, but then you got to return it, right? Yeah. You can work on it in Egypt. I mean, you know. Yeah. And it's also, it's a giant stone. (laughs) This thing's heavy. I'm tired of moving it around. How far away is it? It's a stone's throw away. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hurt you. Hurt you. Oh, God. Uh, now, uh, Koh-i-Noor from India, possibly the Kolur mine, uh, claimed by India, Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan. One of the largest cut diamonds in the world, weighing over 100 carats. That's a big rock. It's a lot of carats. Uh, It's been in England since 1849 with... England again, eh? (laughs) Right? (laughs) It sounds like a pattern here. So it's been put on display in 1851, but then recut to be more visually appealing. So they took the rock and then they altered the rock. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what they do. Long live England. (laughs) (laughs) Queen Victoria wore it on a brooch and it's been subsequently placed in three different British crowns. Currently on display at the House of Jewels... (laughs) And still claimed by all those countries with uh, no indication that it's ever going to be returned to uh, any of those places. It's like the ultimate look at me, look at me. Look what I got. <laughs> Keep away. Look how shiny it's in my crown. Is. No, it, it's got cultural significance to us now. And you're never getting it back. <laughs> nope. So I'm going to try this. <laughs> Good luck. 
uh, Ezioma. I think so. Um, Ben Yu. Okay. Uh, it's a Nigerian writer. Sorry if I butchered that. It said, so here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here. Never enough for both. Yep. Repatriation. Keep your chin up, guys. Mm-hmm. And that's our short. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember, we exist within the universe. And the universe exists within ourself. We're all the stuff of stars. So have a stellar day, everyone. And thanks for stopping by our corner of the cosmos. This has been the Mid-Flight Crisis Podcast. You can support important spaceship repairs and maintenance by subscribing to the Mid-Flight Crisis Patreon page. We'd love to hear your suggestions about the show and future topics, and we appreciate your support, ratings, and reviews. This endeavor isn't possible without amazing listeners like you. Thanks for sharing your space and time with us. We'll see you on our next adventure. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Drop us a line at intrepidtransfer at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.